Amen. Thank you, choir. And I know that we all enjoyed last Sunday night with the uh, children's nativity and then with our choir and praise band. We appreciate you so much. Thank you, Micah, for your leadership and all those that share ministry with you at this time. Let's take our Bibles, please. And I'm going to add a scripture. So if you'll turn to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 6 and 7 for a moment. And then our key passage, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. So Isaiah chapter 9, our children are being dismissed to worship care, as you can see. And uh, so they're welcome to come and, and uh, to uh, be dismissed while you're looking up those passages of Scripture. Now, I know it's, um, it's, it's Christmas week, and we always talk about, you know, are you ready for Christmas week? But are you ready for the, the gifts that you're going to receive? Are you ready for those gifts? Let me give you 10 things to say about a Christmas gift you don't like. All right, so listen closely. 10 things you can say to a Christmas gift that uh, you don't like. Number 10, hey, there's a gift. (laughs) Number nine, well, well, well. Number eight, boy, if I had not recently shot up four sizes, that would have (laughs) fit. Number seven, This is perfect for wearing around the basement. Number six, gosh, I hope this never catches fire. You know, it's fire season, though, and there are lots of unexplained fires. Number five, if the dog buries it, I'll be furious. Number four, I love it, but I fear the jealousy it will inspire. Number three, sadly, tomorrow I enter the Federal Witness Protection Program. (laughs) Number two, to think. I got this the year I vowed to give up all my Christmas gifts to charity. And the number one thing to say about a Christmas gift you don't like, I really don't deserve this. All right? So anyway, you know, we talk about Christmas, talk about celebrating. And every now and then I run across somebody and says, you know, why, why do we do all this celebrating? You know, it's the birthday of Jesus. Why do we do all the other cultural kind of things? And we can, we can talk about the culture uh, aspects of Christmas. But why do we celebrate? Well, I want to remind you, from the Old Testament, there were seven key festivals in the Old Testament. Three of them had to do with pilgrimages to to Jerusalem. But there were seven festivals. God loved parties. He really did love parties. And that's what festivals were about. Festivals were a time of remembrance. Festivals were a time of refocusing. Festivals were a time to get your mind off what was happening in the rest of the world and put it on the right thing. So remembering, that's what Israel did in all of their festivals. That's what we do here at Christmas. We are remembering what God did through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's also time to refocus and maybe away from some of the cultural things that we participate in. Not meaning that they're bad in themselves, but they can distract from what Christmas is all about and who started it all to begin with. And it's also a time to take our mind off the things of the world and put it, center it on what is right with our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we celebrate together, as we have been lighting the Advent candles and we'll light the Christ candle uh, this coming Friday night, we've been praying in anticipation and expectation of what the Lord is going to do as we once again celebrate his birthday. This morning, as I was thinking about what would, what would be good here before the, the Christmas weekend, what, what kind of message, and I got to thinking about the names of, of Jesus. And this morning, we've already sung one of the songs, 
that Micah led us in that, that talked about this passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And we talked about the exalted names. You know there are 256 names of Jesus in the Bible? 256 names that we could talk about. But let's talk just a moment about the exalted names of Jesus. Your Bible's open to Isaiah 9, beginning in verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now when this passage was given, when Isaiah was giving this, this was actually a word that was being fulfilled historically in King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was coming to the throne. He was taking over for his father Ahaz. And there were all this, uh, these uh, anticipation expectations that were being fostered about him. That, that he would be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, an everlasting father, prince of peace. Of course, prophetically we know that it was fulfilled in the Messiah. The word Messiah in the, in the Hebrew means the anointed one. In the Greek, it's the word Christ. And every time you say the word Christ, it is the Greek word for the Jewish word Messiah, the anointed one. Think with me for just a moment about these exalted names of our Lord, a wonderful counselor. In the day of Israel, when this was written and Isaiah was writing it, there were problems with counselors in the king's court. They had problems. It was, it was a dark day. The, the scripture speaks about that earlier in chapter 9, that there was darkness that had been spread out. And, and there were these wizards and astrologers, and they were giving advice uh, to, the, to the kings and to those that were in court. What they needed was a wonderful counselor, someone that would speak the truth. And so the Messiah, it was the anticipation that Jesus, our Messiah, would be the one that would bring us truth and truly give us counsel and give us the right kind of guidance but also there was the need of an everlasting father israel felt like spiritual orphans and in feeling the 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 weight of being a spiritual orphan they they thought they were unloved but they were suffering the consequences of their sin but the messiah would come as a everlasting father one who would yes discipline the children israel but also one who would treat them as a father who would forgive and who would lead them appropriately in the way of righteousness. Israel also needed a mighty God. There, there was the need to lead forth because of the Assyrian Empire at that time was the, the country that was creating the most pressure to overtake Israel. And so it was the hope of Hezekiah that, that God would come to the aid well, there was the need of a hero, not only in that time, but we still need the hero, the mighty God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the hero, who is strong, who will lead us into victory. But we also need, as the scripture speaks of Hezekiah, a prince of peace. They needed peace at that particular time. And today, the greatest need, as you talk with people, they want a sense of peace. Well, our Messiah came to give us that exactly to give us peace with God, give us peace with other people, but also to give us inner peace as well. 
So as we think about these exalted names of Jesus, think with me now of the the Messiah's personal name. And I want to dwell these last few minutes we have together, and let's talk about the personal name of the Messiah, and that is Jesus. We heard that in the last song, that we need to tell the nations, we need to tell the world about the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So your Bibles are open to Matthew chapter 1. Let's look at verse 21, and let's see what the angel had to say. The angel said, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Many, many years ago, Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, gave the uh, a, a prayer, a word, and a prayer at the memorial at the Columbine High School Memorial where all those students were shot and killed just outside of Denver. And later on, he would give a prayer for George W. Bush at his inauguration. On both occasions, because these were public occasions, he was criticized for talking about Jesus and praying in Jesus' name. Later, he would write a book about the name talking about Jesus. Listen to what he had to say. Why is it that when people curse using Jesus' name, hardly anyone complains? But if you speak about him with respect, some people cry foul. What is it about this name that brings such comfort and healing to millions, yet provokes in others such vehement hatred and offense? We live in that world. We still live in that world where there are those like you and me that we love the name, the personal name of Jesus. And yet there are those around us that will use it as part of their cursing, give no thought, totally disrespect, upset with us when we pray in Jesus' name. We mention any time that we mention the name of Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus for just a moment. Three questions, and I'm using an outline from David uh, Scudder that I I, uh, saw a number of years ago and just kind of expanded on it. Three questions I want to answer about Jesus today. First of all, who named Jesus? Who gave Jesus his name? We read it here with the angel, and you shall call him his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. God did. God gave Jesus his name. Let me ask you the question, how did you name your children? How did you name your children? You may have named them after other family members. You may have friends uh, that you grew up with that had the name and you would just maybe a good memory. You wanted to name your children that. Or maybe they were, uh, they were the popular names when your child was born. Well, there are many reasons that we may find in naming our children. But it was God who chose to name his son Jesus. Now, in the scripture, this isn't the only passage that tells us that that God wanted his son called Jesus. We find the angel also telling Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 31, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And then later in Luke chapter 2, verse 21, on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was Conceived. So obediently, Mary and Joseph, they named their son Jesus because God was the father 
And God said, I want my son named Jesus. Now, what does the name Jesus mean? What is the meaning of his name? Well, Jesus may have been a, a common name, but it, it was not a meaningless name. It has meaning that is found in it. In that particular day, they had to register, and the names of the children born in a community had to be recorded with local officials. They may have identified Jesus this way, Jesus of Nazareth, or Jesus, son of Joseph, or Jesus, son of David, speaking of his ancestry. Any of these ways would have been appropriate in that particular day. But he was best known simply as Jesus, the child that was born to Mary around the first century. The name Jesus itself just means simply, God is salvation. God saves. It was a part of the expectation, as we read in Matthew chapter 1. You shall call him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus is actually the Greek name of Jesus. The Hebrew translation is Joshua. Again, Yahweh saves. Think with me about Joshua for just a moment. What did Joshua do? He took over for Moses. He led the children of Israel across the river Jordan into the promised land, into the land of inheritance. What does Jesus, what does Jesus do for us? He does the very same thing. He leads us out of this sin into this world, and he leads us into our inheritance in heaven. Joshua is just the Old Testament example, the Old Testament model of Jesus. So let's look at a, at a third point where we will spend the rest of our time. Why is his name important? Why is the name of Jesus so important to us? Well, the first reason is this, because there is salvation in his name. Salvation in his name. A true story happened a number of years ago in uh, New Jersey. There was a, a, a young man, the oldest in the family, a young man that was getting married and, and they were having the service in New Jersey just across the Hudson River from New York City. And his sister, his younger sister, was making her way from Boston to New York City. He had instructed her once she got into the, the bus station that she was take a train across to, to New Jersey. But when she uh, disembarked from the bus, she found out that uh, the train that she was supposed to ride, there were some problems, and so the train wasn't running on that schedule at that particular time. So she called her brother, and she uh, told what the uh, problem was. So her brother said, you just stay put. I'm going to have my friend Jesus, and he, he was Hispanic. We know him with his Hispanic name as Jesus, but we know it in the English translation of, of Jesus, pronunciation is Jesus. Jesus is going to come and get you at this particular spot. You take this train to this location, and Jesus will be waiting for you. And so she boarded the train and, uh, to a new location, and when she arrived, Jesus was there. Jesus was there and took her by car across to New Jersey and got her there in time for the, for the wedding, uh, the wedding uh, uh, dinner, rehearsal dinner. And so her brother kidded everybody and says, Jesus has saved my daughter. And that was, that was his way of humor of, of what was going on. But literally, that's what Jesus has done for all of us. His name is the name of salvation. It's why he came into our world. We cannot save ourselves. 
We did not have the power to do that. We were separated from God because of our sin. And the only way to bring us back into a relationship with God was through Jesus himself. And so his name is salvation. He is the way to our God. Listen to these passages of scripture. Romans 10, 9, if you declare, meaning confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In Acts chapter 4, verses 10 and 12, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That was his legal name. That was his formal name. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which man must be saved. You're familiar with the Old Testament expectation. The Jews in Jesus' day, and for many centuries before that, they had expected that the Messiah would come, and would lead them in, in victory against their oppressors. At this particular time, it was the Roman Empire. And so that was their expectation, that the Messiah would come. But we know that that was not the purpose of the Messiah coming in this particular way. Yes, their greatest need was salvation, but they didn't see it, that they needed to be saved from their sins. That was their greatest need. It's still the greatest need that people have today, to be saved from our sins. Folks, Jesus didn't come to save us from poverty. He didn't come to save us from bad politicians. He didn't come to save us from heartaches. He didn't come to save us from physical death. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 15, Paul makes it very clear. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That was his primary purpose, to save sinners. And when we look around in our world today, why is it that so many people want to resist Jesus Christ? The reason they want to resist Jesus Christ is they want to admit that they're sinners. Because they recognize, they hear it, Jesus came to save sinners. Well, I'm not a sinner. And so they resist it, yet they're resisting what they really do need. They are guilty before God. They are sinners. They have broken the laws of God. And their greatest need is to have Jesus into their life. I've been with you long enough to know and hear some testimonies by some wonderful members of Elkdale Baptist Church. Many in this church have been saved radically from a life of sin. And they give all the glory and honor to God for radical salvation. Many of us in this room, just like me, many of us were saved as children. It was natural. We were raised uh, with a godly mother, a godly father, and we were brought to church, and we participated in the activities of the church, a Sunday school, a discipling class, maybe, uh, maybe a choir program, a mission program. We heard the preaching of the gospel week in and week out. It was so natural when we came to a time when we began to understand our need for Christ, that we came to Jesus Christ. And whether it was radical salvation or just the quiet wooing of the Holy Spirit and a child's heart was tender and responded, we recognize that salvation is in no other name but the name of Jesus Christ. Let's see another reason why the name of Jesus is important. It is important because there is 
power in his name. Not only salvation in his name, but power in his name. I'm, I'm going to go through a list of just 10 things. You may want to make some notes there in, your, in, in, the, in the side panel. Think of the power that was in the name of Jesus that changed the dating of history, the dating of the world. Before Christ, B.C., A.D., after Christ. History is divided by the life of Jesus Christ himself. He changed history. He changed countries. Uh, he was in control of rulers, but his birthday controls the dating of the history that you and I date things in this day. There's a second thing he does, and that is the power of Jesus calms the deepest fears that we have in our life. Say the name Jesus with me. Jesus. Say it again. Jesus. The name Jesus calms our fears. Whatever the need that we have in our life, Jesus comes. Read the Gospels. And when you read the Gospels, you see time and time again how that he took people who were fearful of whatever it was. There may have been a physical need, an emotional need, a mental need. Uh, maybe there was uh, something about the world and there was a, a need that they have. But the, their fear was calmed by the message of Jesus Christ. And even now, when we just speak the name of Jesus, there's power. It comforts us. There's something else about the name of Jesus and the power of it, and that is the power of Jesus answers the important questions that we have in life. No other religion in the world is able to sufficiently answer these questions, save our Lord Jesus Christ, such as, how did I get here? How did, how did I land in this world? And we know that creation, that God created. But when you read the book of Colossians chapter 1, none of us exists save by the power of Jesus himself. That's through Jesus that we're able to exist in this world. A second question is, what is the purpose? What is my purpose? What is, what is the meaning of my life? And Jesus is the one that gives us the meaning. He's the one that gives the word to us about what we're here for. We are here for a love relationship with our Heavenly Father through Him. And that we are to be His disciples and we are to follow Him and we are to be obedient to Him. And we are to make Him known in the world. That is our purpose. That's the meaning that we have in life. And then there's a third question. What happens when I die? For those who follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, heaven, heaven is what happens after we die. We enter into the very presence of God, into the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that died for our sin, that made it so that we could be able to enter into the presence of God and have fellowship with Him. No other religion answers those three questions save the name of Jesus Christ giving the answers to all three of those questions. Also, there is power in his name that is more powerful than the devices of Satan. Think with me about for a moment about Satan. Satan wants to destroy our world as we know it. He's like a chicken with his head cut off. He's running around. He's already doomed. He already knows what the end is going to be for him. And yet, he wants to take as many with him as possible. 
to spend in a, a world separated from God himself. And what is he doing with us as Christians? He wants to make us as miserable as possible until our death and we enter into the kingdom of God. And yet through the power of Jesus, through his power, his devices are greater than Satan. And that's why he can deliver us from any stronghold that may have captured us, that we may be captured in this world. He can destroy that. His devices, he who is in us, is greater than he who is in the world. And it's Jesus Christ. He's also powerful in the sense he has power over sin. We read in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore there is no longer any condemnation in Christ Jesus. We are forgiven. Those sins are forgotten. And we are loved with an everlasting love. Do you know the depth of that love that we have in Christ Jesus? There is nothing you can do to ever make God love you more than he does at this very moment. And there's nothing you could ever do to cause him to lessen his love for you at this very moment. He loves you with an everlasting love because he's an everlasting father. And our Lord Jesus Christ stands as your advocate in the very presence of Almighty God. But lastly, we also find power in that there is strength to conquer everything that this world may throw at us. A few verses later in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, it says, We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, and nothing can separate us from our God through the Lord Jesus Christ. He conquers all. There is nothing impossible with our God. Let's look at something else that is important in the name of Jesus. It's important because it is a, an exalted name. An exalted name. Listen to this from Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 and 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, we're not, we're not talking about just followers of Jesus Christ. Everyone of all creation will one day bow on their knee, and they will confess Jesus was truly Lord. Now, it will be too late for them, it will be too late for them. But the Bible says everyone. I and mean, aren't you glad that we can do it? Aren't you glad we can do it now? Aren't you glad that we can do that every time we gather to worship? Every time that we worship privately before our great God. We can bend our knee and we can confess him as Lord of our life. This morning I was listening to David Jeremiah as we were getting ready to come to church. And it was his Christmas special that he filmed a few months ago in New York City. And he reminded us of something that Arlinda and I have seen numerous times ourselves. In Bethlehem, there is the, what we call Angel Square. And it's just outside the church of the Nativity. We've been blessed to go into what historically, uh, there are those who say that's the actual point of where, where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. We don't know exactly where, but this is where some people centuries ago said, and they built this big, big church over this, uh, over this particular area, this particular rock. And, and, but it's just the inspiration of going. It's a beautiful church inside. 
but years ago, centuries ago, they were having problems with people coming into the church with uh, horseback, their enemy, and then also just commercial people pulling their carts inside the church. So they closed up the door except just a small portion of the door. The door in length is only four feet, and you have to bend to get inside this church. It's an, it's an amazing experience to humble yourself and to bow down. But what a beautiful picture of this passage of Scripture that we always come in bended knee to our God and His Son, Jesus Christ. You've heard me mention the Chronicles of Narnia, the, uh, uh, speaking about the lion, the witch, and the war, wardrobe. But in that series of books that C.S. Lewis wrote, he has... Aslan is the lion, the representative of Jesus. Every time as you're watching the movie, as you read the books, people coming before Aslan, they're always on bended knee. The name of Jesus is important because it's an exalted name. And we all come in bended knee to our God. Lastly, his name is important because it is the name in which we pray. It's the name in which we pray. John 14, 13, and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Here is Jesus Christ, our high priest, the advocate before the Heavenly Father. And when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Some 51 years ago, it's hard to believe it's been that long. But in 1970, Bill and Gloria Gaither wrote a song entitled there's something about the name listen to the lyrics jesus 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 there's just something about that name master savior jesus like a fragrance after the rain jesus 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms will all pass away but there's something about that name 909 times Jesus is mentioned in the New Testament. 500 times his name is mentioned in the four Gospels. It's the favorite name. It's the most loved name. It's the personal name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me close with this story. Many of you may have read and remember a short story written by Bret Hart. He was a famous American novelist and short story writer. He called it The Luck of Roaring Camp. It was a story about a, a mining camp in the West, and it was known for its reputation of being one of the meanest places. I mean, there were more murders, more theft. The, the people were extremely corrupt. And all that was in the, in the mining town were all men except one woman, and she serves, served them all, and her name was Cherokee Sal. Cherokee Sal became pregnant, and she gave birth to a little baby girl, and she died in childbirth. And here these men, these rowdy men, they now had to take care of this infant girl. And so they took this little girl, and they put her in a box with some old rags underneath her. And when they looked at it, they said, oh, no, this, this is just not right. So they, they sent one of the men about 80 miles to a little town, 
and he came back with some uh, some silk blankets and and uh, all, all kinds of material that for this child now to be placed into the box. And when they put this underneath the little baby girl, again, the baby's in a box. They said, that's not right either. So they sent somebody to Sacramento, uh, Sacramento and brought back this, this cradle, this beautiful rosewood cradle. And things began to look better, but then they began to look around the room where the baby was, and the floor was dirty. And again, these rowdy men got down on their, their hands and knees, and they began to scrub the floor and to clean the floor. And then as they finished cleaning, they looked and said, we got to do something with these walls and the ceiling. So they began to scrub the walls, and they cleaned the ceiling. And they looked at the windows and cleaned the windows, and, and they put curtains up uh, on, the, on the windows. They also realized this, the baby slept a lot. So they had been used to fighting amongst themselves carousing amongst themselves and they they realized they had to stop the brawling and so the temperature of the roaring camp was beginning to lessen and then they took the the little child in her in her cradle in this rosewood cradle and they would took her to the mouth of the of the mine that they were working in and as they looked around they realized just how dirty it looked and so they began to plant flowers and, um, and had a little garden, and they even brought some of those shiny stones out of the mine. They even brought those and put her around her little crib. And then as they continued to raise this little infant, they looked down at their hands, and they saw how rough and dirty their hands were. All of a sudden, the general store now was uh, uh, giving out of soap, and they didn't have enough shaving gear for all of these all of these men, because all these men, their lives were changing. All because of a baby that was born. Everything changed because of a baby. My life has been changed because of a baby. The birth we're going to celebrate here in a few days. Your life has been changed from a baby. And you and I are privileged to call the baby Jesus. Let's pray. Has he changed your life? A little baby changed a whole camp. Lord Jesus has changed millions upon millions of people. But I ask you the question, has he changed your life? Is there someone here this morning who has yet to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? That's what Christmas is all about. We love to decorate, and rightfully so. Our worship center is decorated in a beautiful way, in ways that remind us and helps us this whole month of December to celebrate his birthday. But maybe you have missed, maybe you've missed the Savior's birth that we are celebrating.
Would this be the day that you admit that you're a sinner? You've broken his laws? You're tired of denying the evil, the sin in your life? It's time to admit it and recognize if you don't, you face an eternal separation from him. Would you believe Jesus, God's son, died for your sin? He's paid the payment. He's given you something you don't deserve, grace. But you must confess that Jesus is Lord. That he died on a cross, he was buried, he rose again. There has to be a confession. There has to be a surrendering of your life to him. If you've yet to make that decision, today's the day. It's a prayer away. It's the beginning of truly understanding why Christmas is so important to us. Jesus, his favorite name, his personal name, he wants to be your Lord and Savior. Father, thank you for this time. Bless us as we worship, as we share together in our Christmas celebration. And just being reminded not only of the exalted name, but the personal name that was given. Father, you gave your son that name. And we fall down and bow before him on bended knee, confessing him as Lord of our life. We celebrate that. We thank you for it. Very simple truth because he has changed us. A baby has changed our lives. Bless this time of invitation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.